You're listening to the Magnum version of the Savage Lovecast, www.savagelovecast.com. If you're stuck in a relationship quandary, or if you're looking for sexual harmony, well, there's nothing you can't ask on the Savage Lovecast. On Friday, the Republican governor of Florida finally finally issued a stay-at-home order, a decree, weeks after the state's beaches were packed with spring break revelers. We all saw the video. Better late than never, I suppose, but it's a little like the mayor in Jaws waiting until after the great white has finished eating the very last kid in town before finally closing the beaches. Interestingly, and by interestingly, I mean whatever the fucking fuck, the governor's order exempts religious services in Florida. And it overturns stay-at-home orders previously issued by Florida cities and counties that closed churches. The governor's order says that only essential businesses can remain open and people can only leave their homes for essentials. And all those suburban mega churches that have opened up and abandoned J.C. Penney's up and down the state are defined as essential. Did the virus draft this decree? California has the most cases of this coronavirus after New York, and Florida is headed where California is now. So you would think that when Florida's governor sat down to draft his stay-at-home decree, he might have looked to California, where health officials in at least one county have determined that fully a third of their cases can be traced back to a church service. One of the largest outbreaks of COVID-19 in the entire United States, 71 cases traced back to a single service at a California megachurch. Here in Washington State, a church choir decided to go ahead with rehearsal at their suburban church. 60 people showed up to sing. They all used hand sanitizer. No one shook hands. No one hugged. Two weeks later, 45 of those 60 people are infected. Three are hospitalized. Two are dead. Three weeks ago, Louisiana megachurch packed 2,000 people into one service. There were fewer than 200 cases in Louisiana at the time. Now there are more than 13,000 cases, 500 deaths. A coincidence? Yeah, most likely not. Pack your elderly white evangelical believers into the pews, and pretty soon you'll be stacking those evangelical white believers in refrigerated trucks. But try telling that to this lady. Driving out of this Ohio parking lot is a woman who just attended a church service with dozens of other people including children. Can I ask you about your decision to go to church to be inside that building? I wouldn't be anywhere else. Aren't you concerned you could infect other people if you get sick inside? No. People who don't go to this no. church. No. I'm covered in Jesus' blood. I'm covered in Jesus' well, blood. But other people who don't go to this church who you might encounter? All of these people go to this church. No, but you're going to be in places where other people I go are. to the grocery store every day. I'm in Walmart, what? Home Depot, all of those people. But you people. could get them sick from what happens They the could church. get me sick, but they're not because I'm covered in his blood. Thank you very much. We all know what's going on here, besides the kind of narcissistic, magical thinking personality disorder that has convinced this woman that Jesus will save her while he lets others die. It's about money. Churchgoers put money in collection plates. They don't donate online so much. Close the church to save the lives of the faithful, and you risk bankrupting the preacher. Got to keep that grift going. But hey, credit where credit is due. The National Association of Evangelicals, which used to be headed up by a meth-smoking, gay escort-banging closet case, but we'll let that slide for now in the interest of unity. Anyway, sorry, the National Association of Evangelicals is actually encouraging people to stay home and pray in place. But the National Association of Evangelicals doesn't have the power to prevent individual evangelical pastors from going rogue and opening the doors at the old J.C. Penney. 
because there is no evangelical pope who can close down a megachurch or excommunicate its leaders, we're going to keep seeing people headed to services. This is another example, as if we needed another one, that proves that these people either don't know what's in the book they're always waving in our faces, or they don't care. Hating on immigrants, denying health care to sick people, despising the poor and the homeless, not wanting to pay your goddamn taxes so the federal government can prepare for things like pandemics. Jesus hates all that shit right there in the Bible. Take care of the sick, welcome the foreigner, house the homeless, pay your fucking taxes, also known as rendering unto motherfucking Caesar that which is motherfucking Caesar's. There's even advice in the Bible, in the Sermon on the Mount, one of Jesus' greatest hits, right after he says nothing about abortion and right before he says nothing about homosexuality, he says this, When thou prayest, enter into thy closet, and when thou hast shut thy closet door, pray to thy Father which is in secret. So to the lady coming home from that ill-advised church service in Ohio, you don't have to go to the old J.C. Penny to reenact Carrie, the musical, with your buddy Jesus. He can dump a bucket of blood over your head in the safety of your own home. Go home, evangelical Christian lady. Stay there. Pray in one of your closets like Jesus told you to. But maybe not the closet where your 14-year-old kid is currently hiding from you. One of the others. All right, coming up on today's show, on the micro edition of the Savage Lovecast, tons of your cues, lots of my A's, and Dr. Barack Gaster joins us to talk about the impending golden age of glory holes. No, he doesn't want to talk about that. We talk about some other stuff, COVID-related. And on the magnum edition of the Savage Lovecast that you can subscribe to at savagelovecast.com, twice as much show, no ads, more guests. Pete Dominic, host of Stand Up with Pete Dominic, joins us to play the straight man. All that coming up on today's show. Hi, Dan. 27-year-old cis straight female on the East Coast. Um, Don't have a question, more of a quarantine going crazy related story. I live in an apartment with my fiance and there has been a lot of work being done on the facade of the building for about a year now. And usually I'm at work, so I don't hear it. Uh, But as of late, I have been hearing a lot of banging and drilling and hammering and The other day, I was hearing a lot of noise coming from this one wall in our bedroom, and it was consistent and sort of just didn't even sound like the workers. But I emailed the building manager complaining that it was unacceptable that at these late hours, there was still work being done on the building and how inappropriate it was. I was very, very angry, and I'm putting my ear to the wall. I don't know where it's coming from. We don't share that wall with a neighbor. I'm not actually even sure what goes inside, what's on the other side of that wall. And I'm now reaching out to my landlord saying how terrible this is. And I go into the room and I'm putting my ear to all parts of the wall. And it's not really as loud on my fiance's side of the bed. And I go back to my my side of the bed and it turns out that it was just my vibrator (laughs) in my side table, which presses up against the wall that had been going off for three hours (laughs) because I've been using it a lot. Because I'm in quarantine and I have quarantine brain. I don't know. I thought it was funny. Hopefully you do too. I did think it was funny. Thank you for calling in and sharing your quarantine sex story. And I hope you have plenty of batteries in your house and that you're not going to have to run out and stock up. I would call batteries for vibrators essential. I don't know what the governor of your state might call them, but I would consider that essential. Again, thank you for calling. We are opening the show this week with a quarantine sex story. We invite you to call in and share your quarantine sex story with us, 206-302-2064, and we might open next week's show with yours. All right, on to the regular questions. 
Hey, Dan. I'm in my 30s. I live in California. I'm on lockdown. And I am wondering if you have any recommendations on Jill security for when you are doing video calls with somebody and you want to do some sexy stuff. I usually don't take pictures of myself in sexually vulnerable positions because I worry about that being exploited. So if you have any best practices on how to prevent this uh, now more than ever, I think it's needed. Help us, Dan. The only way to ensure your security is to video chat or swap sex messages with someone you trust. But the world is full of people whose trust was violated. You know, people cheat, people get their hearts broken, revenge porn. There's no guarantee that your judgment when you decide to invest your trust in someone is going to be 100% perfect. And so there's a risk here. There's an inherent risk, an unavoidable risk. If you want to eliminate any risk of your photos or videos winding up circulating on the internet, you shouldn't be sending your dirty photos and sexually vulnerable positions or sexually vulnerable positions out to even people you love because people are often betrayed by the people they love. When we talk about revenge porn, it's almost always a former romantic partner and almost always a male former romantic partner who posted those videos, who posted those photos that their former partner who once trusted them made with the understanding that they wouldn't be shared and their trust was violated and hence revenge porn laws now to try to stop people from doing that sort of shit to each other. But there's no way to eliminate the risk. That said, for years now, I've been arguing that we're approaching a kind of tipping point, a sexed singularity, where everyone will have photos and videos out there so no one's photos and videos can be weaponized against them without all of us feeling at risk ourselves. And therefore, hopefully people are less likely than to weaponize someone's photos or videos against them or fire someone for having photos or videos out there online that are dirty or quote unquote inappropriate because the person in the position of having to do the firing knows that they have those photos and videos out there too. And they don't want that to be the standard reaction in corporate America or any other corner of America when someone's photos or videos are found often by a malicious actor. Because we all know in the backs of our heads that there but for the grace of God go I. That's been, I think, coming. And this, the coronavirus, I think is going to bring us a lot closer to the sexed singularity where videos and photos that are dirty being online are less of a threat to us professionally, socially, personally. Because everyone has them out there. Because so many people right now are being advised by health authorities, by government authorities to sext to video chat with their lovers rather than meeting up with their lovers unless they're quarantined with your lovers, unless you're physically distancing with your lovers. They're living with you right now. Health departments, major cities, major states, health departments are advising people to sext and video chat. So the day when we've all got them out there is coming a lot faster than I thought it was, than I knew it would, when I predicted that we would arrive at a point where this wasn't a problem anymore. So I would encourage you if this is your only outlet and it'll help keep you sane to take the risk, because I think the risk is small, that this is your sex getting out there in front of your employer or your mother, a low probability, high consequence event. Millions and millions and millions of people every day are swapping sex and getting online and chatting with each other. We hear about the people whose lives or careers were complicated or blown up or derailed by someone, an ex usually, abusing 
the trust that the person placed in them when they shared these videos or made these videos with them. But we don't hear about the successes. So I think the risk is lower than we perceive it to be. And the more people sex, the more people get online and dirty chat and masturbate together, the lower the already low risk becomes over time. Hi, Dan, 51-year-old, cis-bi, married lady from the East Coast. I'm imagining that you've been bombarded with relationship questions as of late with many people stranded at home. My question is not really about a relationship, but more about privacy. I think this thought entered my mind due to the current turmoil in the world. I've kept journals off and on throughout my life and realized that I would not like anyone to read these journals after I pass. These journals include private thoughts about my children, my relationships, sexual adventures, etc., I thought at one time that I'd like my daughter to read them so she can learn more about me after I die, but I think some of the entries would tarnish her view of me. As you always say, you cannot unknow what you already know. Should I ask a relative like my sister-in-law, whom I am close with and trust, to destroy them if anything should happen to me, or should I trust my spouse to do this? If I were him, I would, pro- I would probably want to read them and see what he had said about me. One thought was to keep them in a lockbox with a warning label, but this may just increase a person's curiosity and they would find a way to break the lock. I could see some of your listeners asking, why don't you just destroy them now and then not have to worry about it? But I know if I live into my 70s or 80s and beyond, then I will want to read them for nostalgia. They have a lot of sentimental value to me. I feel like I'm becoming more anxious about this as the world chaos escalates. Any advice from you or your readers would be appreciated. Social scientists, according to an article I recently read, bemoan the fact that fewer and fewer people keep journals, keep diaries. When you think of you know the social histories that we've read about the Second World War or about the Civil War, often what's mined in those social histories are people's diaries and the letters they wrote to each other. Well, now with email and text messages, we're not going to have those letters and people don't keep, for the most part, It's rare now for someone to find the time to keep a diary. A lot of people used to keep diaries to pass the time. And now we have Candy Crush or whatever the latest Candy Crush is. And we have Twitter and time that out of boredom, a lot of people used to write down what happened to them during their day or their thoughts about current events. That time is eaten up by other things, by distractions, by online video, sex chats and the rest. So, your diaries could be very valuable to social scientists in the future. I would encourage you to perhaps approach some social scientists and ask if they have archivists and ask about donating your diaries or having your diaries donated by the executor of your will to a library and then put under lock and key for a hundred years until everyone that might be hurt or might have their illusions about who their mother was tarnished is dead. And then it would be a resource to people who are trying to write the social history of the 21st century. You could also ask someone that you trust to destroy them. If I was that person, I would probably wind up reading them before I destroyed them because people are going to be curious. I think you would have better luck with a lawyer and a will and a donation to a university if you want them to be private forever or private at least until everyone that you know and love and who knew and loved you is dead, dead, dead. Hi, Dan, Nancy, and the tech savvy at risk youth. I'm a cis hetero woman in my late 20s. I need your opinion on embarking on a possible BDSM relationship. I recently started seeing this guy before the COVID crisis hit the US. 
We have only been on technically four dates, but our relationship has kind of accelerated due to mandatory work from home and a possible lockdown in our state. Meaning, we slept with one another on the third and fourth date. Sexually, we seem highly compatible. We both have talked about how important sex is to us and both have high libidos. Additionally, he identifies as a switch, which is exciting to me since I have always wanted to dabble in BDSM and also think of myself as a switch. He has confessed to having fantasies of being tied up and dommed by a woman, which excites me because I've always wanted to explore the femdom side of me. He has actively listened to my own kinks and fantasies and has said he would be interested in being a part of them. Not to mention he has an amazing body. On the character side, we have a lot of common interests, but a couple of relationship red flags have come up for me. He only recently got out of a four-year relationship and has been open with me in that he is trying to take things slowly emotionally. He has said that he tends to fall quickly and so do I. To that end, he is physically distant with me, showing closed-off body language until he's ready to initiate sex. He won't touch me, and usually I'm the one who has to ask him to touch my breasts or vagina. The last four times we had sex, I had to get myself off and had to ask him to touch me to help me come. Physical touch is very important to me, especially since it signals to me that someone is interested. Additional red flags include mentioning to me that he is a severe hypochondriac and talking a bit weirdly about previous girls he's dated, including calling one a gold digger when she expected him to pay for everything on dates. Granted, he is a bit socially awkward, but some of his comments have rubbed me a bit wrong. Additionally, he's very into his body, and every time I compliment it, he says things like, oh, I know, or thank goodness I'm pretty. I've even caught him checking himself out in the mirror, and when I called him out on it, he's like, yeah, I'm a bit vain. Dan, I am not that sexually experienced or experienced with relationship. He's the only mm, second guy I've slept with, and I really want to explore my kinky side with this man. He seems very interested in my fantasies and eager to continue interacting with me. Not to mention, as a plus-size woman, I have not found a lot of cis-hetero guys who are interested in me, and the insecure part of me is afraid that this may be the only chance I get to play with a handsome, ripped guy. Should I continue dating this guy and see where our possible BDSM relationship goes, or should I nip this in the bud now that I have social distancing as an excuse to not see him and let it fizzle out? And if I do continue to see where this goes... How do I keep things interesting and sexy with a guy I barely know during a possible lockdown? No embarking, whether we're talking about relationships or cruise ships, which somehow people are still getting on. No embarking. Embarking for the moment is canceled. So you are not embarking on a relationship with this guy unless you, after four dates and a couple of rolls in the hay, are living together, which I doubt. And it's clear you're not. Uh, you're not going to be able to pursue anything with this person at the moment. That doesn't mean you can't keep texting, sexting, uh, video chatting with this dude if you want to continue to explore the relationship. You say this guy is socially awkward. All right. You also say he's incredibly hot. We'll get to that in a second. A lot of your red flags to me would seem to stem from that social awkwardness. And they aren't red flags for abuse. They're not red flags for you know controlling, jealous, awful, emotional abuse. Uh, they're red flags for, you know, he may have a little bit of a disconnect that with your encouragement and with you articulating what it is that you need and want from him, he can overcome. When you said that he's a little physically distant and you had to ask him to touch you when you wanted to get off, my follow-up question for you would be, did he touch you? 
Did he come through with the kind of touch that you needed? Was it enthusiastic? Did he just need that prompt? And then he was giving you what it is that you needed in a way that was enthusiastic and not shaming and indeed helped you get off. And if the answer is yes, I would encourage you not to regard him needing that prompt at least now, at least at this stage in the relationship as disqualifying or as a deal breaker or as indeed a red flag. His hypochondria, again, I wouldn't say that's a red flag. I would say that's an annoying trait. I say that as a hypochondriac, I hate other hypochondriacs. And talking smack about ex-girlfriends, I think that you should say something to him about that. We don't want to hear it. Everybody's got shitty exes, but you know, when you're dating someone, you're just getting to know them and they start talking about how awful their exes are. It just makes you feel a little weird and insecure about what he might say about you to someone down the road if it doesn't work out and most new relationships don't. So you would prefer that he not mention his shitty exes just as you're not mentioning his shitty exes because it makes you feel uncomfortable. Now onto the hottie hottie stuff and the conventional beauty gap that you perceive between you and him, that's a red flag. That's something that you should watch out for. Not that he can't legitimately be attracted to you. Not that you can't enjoy this opportunity to get with somebody who's got a banging body. What you want to be on the lookout for though is whether he's leveraging his looks against you to get you to do things that you don't want to do or to put you in a position where you feel like like you said, you'd never have this opportunity to be with somebody as conventionally attractive as he is again. And so you will endure, agree to, put up with anything. I've seen this dynamic sometimes in the lives of my friends. You know, friend who's not conventionally attractive suddenly draws the eye of someone who is and there is nothing the hot person can't demand that the unconventionally attractive friend of mine didn't give, didn't seed because – they didn't think they could pull someone like this ever again when the lesson of pulling that person in the first place should be I can pull these kinds of people that someone with this kind of body can be into me. That doesn't mean this is the only person with this kind of body who will ever be into me. The lesson you should take away is, hey, maybe I'm more attractive than I've given myself credit for. So while I think it's fine for him to be a little bit vain about his hot body, or at least he's being honest with you about his vanity, about his hot body, that's not what you want to be worried about. What you want to be worried about, the red flag you want to watch out for, and it hasn't appeared yet, is him manipulating you with his hotness. If he says to you, you'll never do better than me, something like that, that is a giant red flag and you should run. But based on what you've shared with me, about this relationship so far. I don't think the things that you've identified as red flags, as annoying as they might be, are red flags. When we talk about red flags, we usually mean it's a relationship that's going to be controlling physically or emotionally abusive or toxic. These are quirks and maybe they have something to do with his social awkwardness. These are quirks and these are things that you've pushed back against and he has adjusted. He's behaved differently with you. At your request, keep having sex with him once we can embark on relationships again, continue to see him, and in time, he should get to a place where he doesn't need the prompt anymore to give you what you need to get off when you're together. If he continues to need the prompt in the short term, okay. If he can never catch a groove with you, well, that may become so annoying that you want to end the relationship because you're not feeling sexually satisfied or fulfilled by him, but that by itself is just a sad fact, not a red flag. 
So once we can embark on relationships, hot BDSM relationships with hot hotties who want to be femdommed, I think you should embark on this relationship when the time for embarking comes. Hey, Dan, I'm a longtime listener, and I have a question related to COVID-19 safety. I was thinking about how, like, they say that the virus can enter your body through, like, mucous membranes, like your eyes and your nose and your mouth. And I was wondering if for women, does that include our lady parts? Does that mean that, like, if we are wiping ourselves, we should wash our hands first and afterwards, like before we use the bathroom and after we use the bathroom? I'm not hearing anyone talk about this, but, you know, it wouldn't be the first time that women's health needs haven't been addressed. So I'm wondering if you or any of your experts might have an answer. Joining me by phone to help tackle this question, our longtime Savage Love medical expert, really our medical ombudsman, Dr. Barack Gaster, professor of medicine at the University of Washington. Hey, Dr. Gaster, how are you? I'm doing all right, Dan. Crazy times, crazy times. They are crazy times. It is really good to have you back. We listened to this question, and of course, we thought it would be perfect to have a male doctor on to talk about this. So the mucous membranes of the vagina and the, the, the labia, are those one of the mucous membranes that people need to be concerned about? No. You know, I mean, I think what's what's important to keep in mind is that the mucous membranes of not just the vagina, but the penis too, are very unlikely to be points of entry for coronavirus. That, you know, this is a virus that we are really solidly clear is very specialized to infect the respiratory tract. So the mouth, your throat, your nose, your lungs. And as long as you're washing your hands with warm, soapy water, you are you're going to be okay and you're not going to be infecting your vagina or your penis with coronavirus. Um, you know, but the question is like, should she be wiping her hands before going to the bathroom and after going to the bathroom? The answer is yes, we should be washing our hands all the time. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I was going to say that anything that gets people washing their hands more often, maybe we should promote, even if it's not a risk because your lungs are yeah. connected to your vaginal canal, I think is the point here. Yeah. Uh, that, so, sure, wash your hands before you go to the bathroom and after you go to the bathroom. Wash your hands constantly. Yeah. I mean, when you walk into a bathroom and like, oh, there's the sink, you know, wash your hands. <laughs> I mean, really, like anytime you're walking by a sink and you're like, oh, I wonder if I should wash my hands. You should wash your hands. And, and if that is a before going to the bathroom and after going to the bathroom activity, then absolutely all good. So, so just so we can drill down on this, and I can, and I can understand it, uh, you know, you have mucous membranes in your anus, you have mucous membranes in, around your vulva and, and vagina, uh, mucous membranes in the eyes. There are mucous, you have mucous membranes that can be exposed to outside agents all around your body, in different places yeah. of your body. But the ones that you need to be most concerned about are the ones that connect to your lungs. Right, the ones in your face. And, and you know, the, the, your tear ducts do kind of connect really sort of closely to your, your nose and your, the back of your throat. And, and so, you know, just thinking of mucous membranes of your face as the zone that coronavirus is very, very interested in and the mucous membranes, other places in your body, um, the coronavirus is not designed or uh, evolved to, uh, to attack. And just to put an even finer point on this, this is not 
Dr. Gaster, this is not Dan Savage saying it's okay for randos to eat your pussy. Right. So this is completely separate from the question of physical distancing. And so this is completely separate from the question of, you know, what are the risks of having uh, close contact, including sexual contact with people who are not in your kind of immediate home pod right now is really something that we have to put like a big global pause on because of the risk of uh, spreading coronavirus. You should only be having sex with people you already live with who, important caveat, want to have sex with you and aren't your parents. <laughs> That's right. Yep. I got a question from someone, though, and I'd like to get your medical opinion on this. It's a little out there, and I apologize. Sometimes the out there questions make you uncomfortable, <laughs> and I want, to, I want this to be a safe space for you, so you'll come back once every eight years or so. Uh, somebody wondered whether this might not be the golden age of glory holes. If someone is on the other side of a wall and they're just putting their genitals through the oh. wall and you can back your pussy or butt up onto their genitals and the wall is not like a partition in a bathroom, so they're not breathing la, la, over la, it la, 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 or under it. I can't hear you. I can't hear you. La, 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 la. You must have done something terrible in a past life that having to come back on the show and field questions like this. But would that be arguably not a violation of the social distancing if you were just popping your dick through a hole in an otherwise floor-to-ceiling complete wall and somebody else backed their genitals up onto it because those mucous membrane or membrane, I don't know what the plural is, uh, we've just established aren't, uh, you know, a route of transmission for this virus. So is the golden age of glory holes upon us potentially if this goes on? Um. You're going to have to find a different expert to answer that question, Dan. Okay, we, that, that, that'll, we'll just file that under a pass. Um, yes. There is one yes. thing, though, uh, I did want to ask you that I think you might be willing to answer. Jay Inslee, our governor here in Washington State, had a press conference the other day where he said social distancing, what we've been doing here in Seattle, which was uh, the first epicenter – uh, in the United States uh, before New York overtook us, uh, what we're doing is working. And that's absolutely true. You know, it, it's so hard because there is clearly a two to three to even four week delay before you can really see flattening of the curve after restrictions, physical distancing starts coming into effect. And that's because it takes people a few weeks for it to sort of trickle out to to everybody and because uh, there is an incubation period of about five days for the virus and it takes about two weeks for people to get, uh, for, for those who are going to get very, very sick from uh, COVID to get really sick. And so there is, we, we, we just have to be patient to see the changes, but they are definitely happening and coming and there's just like no question at all. And what are those that changes is, that we're already seeing here in Seattle because of successful physical distancing? You know, it, it, it's like these very, very early signals in terms of the the number of people who are reporting having fever and and cough. And you know, we're still we're still seeing rising numbers of cases and rising number of people in the hospital because it's still it's still too early to really see that kind of peak sort of leveling off. Mm -hmm. But the the very early signs of fewer people getting sick is happening. Well, that, that means we all need to keep it up, 
right? We do. We do. And it's so hard. And, you know, I, I think the one of the most important things that I am telling people is just how important it is to still go outside, that as long as you are maintaining physical distance from other people when you're outside, being outside is safe. And, and it's so important for our physical health and our mental health to get outside that, that it, it, it's confusing when there is this sort of shelter in place message because that really was, you know, really is designed for like a hurricane where you really are, should sort of stay indoors. And this is not that this is, it's okay to go outside. It's okay for, to go for a walk. It's okay to go for a run. You, you know, it's, I, you really do want to maintain, you know, distance from other people when you're outside, but it's okay to be outside. And that as long as you wash your hands, as soon as you get back inside, you are really going to be safe from this virus and that it's just so that the the rules are really simple. They are wash your hands a lot with warm soapy water and, uh, and don't touch your face. And the one other really important public service sort of message is that if you're even a little bit sick, if you have like a mild sore throat, a, a little bit of a cough, or a mild fever, like that's when you really shouldn't go to the grocery store. Like you've got to ask somebody to shop for you. And like right now, if you're feeling well, it is perfectly okay to go outside and we all need to go shopping for food. And it's okay to do that as long as you uh, wash your hands as soon as you get home. But if you are starting to feel sick, don't do they like, oh, I'm just going to go to the grocery store one more time or, oh, I, you know, I'm worried that somebody else wouldn't get the exact right things for me if I asked them to shop for me or I don't want to bother somebody else. This is the time for us all to really pitch in and reach out to your friends and reach out to your neighbors and ask them to go grocery shopping for you so that you don't have to go to the grocery store if you're feeling sick. All right. Before we let you go, one last chance for you to jump in on this glory hole question. <laughs> oh, no. Um, yep. I don't have a I don't have an opinion on that, Dan. I'm sorry okay, Dr. Barack Gaster, <laughs> professor of medicine at the University of Washington. Thank you so much uh, for jumping on the phone today. We appreciate it. We know you must be incredibly busy. Stay well, Dan. Thanks so much. Hey, Dan. I am a 25-year-old lesbian woman. I am calling about a sex under quarantine question. I When, it, when my city shut down, I moved in with my girlfriend and her family, uh, indefinitely, um, which was so great. I'm so appreciative of, of them, of letting me uh, stay in their house because I, I lived alone and I going home for me was not an option. Um, so that's been really amazing and and I get on great with our parents. There are no issues there. The issue that I'm calling about is noise while having sex. So they have a really great apartment, but there are basically no doors. So like any noise above like a really quiet conversation can basically be heard in all the other rooms. Both of us have really high sex drives. Like usually she'd stay at my place, not a problem at all. You know, I have doors and walls, which really feeling like I should have appreciated more. But yeah, I'm, I have a question about quiet sex because my girlfriend feels like she is struggling coming because she's just hyper aware of noise level. Um, I'm also like new to, you know, I haven't had that much sex with women. So it's something that I'm also aware of not being able to make her come. And it's kind of stressing both of us out. She's just getting in her head constantly. Like she doesn't even 
I've said to her before, like, it doesn't matter. Like if you're enjoying it, coming does not have to be like always the end goal. It can also just be about our pleasure, but she has just been getting in her head about it. So I guess I'm asking for advice about getting out of your head when you are very aware that parents are there. Oh, your question made me nostalgic for those times when I was a teenager in a closet case, but hanging out in gay bars in Chicago and occasionally snuck a full-grown adult gay man into my parents' house while they were asleep and had gay sex uh, without getting caught. But we had these miracle things. We had doors and walls. And on the second and third floor, we had shag carpeting that helped muffle the sound. It was the 80s, 70s carpeting leftover. We had it into the 80s. Uh, and that helped. That said, it was very stressful sneaking full-grown adult gay men <laughs> into my parents' house so I could have the sex I absolutely positively needed to have. But I didn't do that with everybody, with all the guys that I uh, got with when I was not quite all the way out yet. A lot of those guys messed around other places not quite public places. I was never a bush or bathhouse guy or a park guy, but boy, stairwells and bathrooms uh, that locked in restaurants that were single seaters, they got a real workout. And you have that option, hopefully, in the apartment building where you and your girlfriend are staying. I would encourage you if the parents are the ones who walk to the grocery store every once in a while or they go for a walk every once in a while to seize those opportunities and fuck the shit out of each other. But if your parents, uh, if they're older and the deal is that they are not leaving the house and you guys as the younger folks are the ones going out into the world and taking those risks uh, to help protect their health, there has to be a stairwell. There has to be a rooftop. There has to be, if you have a bigger apartment building, a basement storage unit. Get creative about where you're doing it. Mix up the locations where you can be distanced from everybody else in the building. If there's a stairwell, then you can find a secret spot in it. Go there. If there's a storage unit in the basement, who knows? Maybe there's an old mattress in the storage unit in the basement and you can throw it on the floor. You know, one of the dangers for long-term couples is getting into a rut, always having the same kind of sex in the same place at roughly the same time and doing roughly the same things. You and your girlfriend have an opportunity early-ish, early on in your relationship to make sure you never fall into that rut, to develop the sexually adventuresome skill set of being able to get off standing up in a stairwell, not just laying down on a mattress or in a kind of dank and dark place, you know, like the basement storage unit or where you might be seen. If there's a spot on the roof and you guys can drag a couple of blankets up there and get under them, get creative. Like a couple of teenagers work around the problem of parents. One question though, if you had the option of, physically distancing yourself from others, of quarantining yourselves in your apartment, you and your girlfriend alone. I'm curious why you opted for her parents' apartment without the doors. I'm a big fan of doors, just like fences make good neighbors. Doors make good roommates and uh, good housemates and good apartment mates, and I would advocate for them. Maybe you can order a set for your girlfriend's parents as a thank you gift on Amazon. Hey, Dan. I'm a straight female from the Northeast. I am in self, you know, not quarantined. What do we call it? Social distancing. And my mother, who I love to death, is so concerned about the amount of socialization I'm getting. 
in this time. I do not have a stable partner. However, I am active with various dating apps and have over the past few years have had some relationships which I have not shared with my mother because they've been fleeting and I just don't think that it makes much sense to include her in when it's likely temporary. I know my mom would not, she would not approve of my uh, casual relationships. So I haven't shared them with her, but she is so paranoid that I have essentially been so alone for so many years when in reality, I've just had a series of monogamous relationships that have not been that serious. So how do I explain to her during this time that I'm not lonely? I am social distancing, but I have my regular partners (laughs) that I don't want to explain to her. So if I understand you correctly, you are still fucking multiple people that you don't live with. And that is not the plan right now. That's not what we're supposed to be doing. So I am going to stand in for your mom and express some parental concern about whether you are successfully distancing yourself from others physically and socially in the way that we need to right now to flatten the curve of the COVID-19 pandemic. You shouldn't be seeing multiple partners who are going out into the world and potentially having other partners of their own or going home to their other partners. They shouldn't be coming into your space. You shouldn't be coming in every sense of the word into their space. If you are holed up together with a sex partner that you live with, that's the person you should be having sex with. You shouldn't be having sex with multiple people that you don't live with right now. Those are our marching orders. Not eternally, just until we bring this under control, until we flatten the curve, until we're on the other side of it, until there is an effective vaccine or herd immunity or whatever it is that's going to rescue us from this, until that day comes You, if you live alone, should be coming alone or coming with your partners only online. And that's really what I would say to you after listening to your call. Like, fuck your mother. Fuck your problem with your mother. Just tell your mother that you're not seeing anyone or you were seeing a few people before the lockdown and you have nothing to report. And if she continues to ask you questions that you don't feel comfortable answering, be honest and direct with her and say, Ma, I really don't want to talk about my sex life with you. And I feel like you don't want to hear about it really either. And if the issue is you don't trust her not to be judgmental, not to slut shame you or not to worry about things that she doesn't need to worry about, you can say that to her as well. I went through this with my mother after I came out of the closet uh, at the big, really the beginning of the AIDS crisis. And she would say to me, Oh my God, I hope you're being safe. And I would tell her I was, but I would spare her the details because I was definitely taking calculated risks so that I could have sex and have intimacy, have love in my life, that kind of romantic love in my life. And there were risks inherent. And I was willing to, you know, I'd educated myself about those risks. I was willing to uh, shoulder them, but my mother wouldn't have been comfortable with the risks that I was taking at that time. So I didn't burden her with the awareness of them. I didn't share that with her. You know, I've quoted my mother many times uh, something she said that was very funny. There are things a mother has a right not to know. And that was first said to me during the AIDS crisis when I was 
seeing people when I was having sex and using condoms. I was very condom compliant, but there were still risks. Condoms broke, condoms leaked. Sometimes if you were having sex with someone that you didn't know well, that person could be an asshole and take the condom off. Sometimes people who were having sex with people they knew well, the person turned out to be an asshole who did that sort of thing. So there were risks. And my mother didn't need to know about them. And she had kind of a right at that moment not to know about them because they would have filled her with panic and dread. Tell your mother, I give this to you. Tell your mother, you know what? Dan Savage's mother used to say there are things a mother has a right not to know. I think my romantic life, you have a right not to know about it. You also don't have a right to know about it. But right now, I don't think you need to know about it. So I'm not going to burden you with it. And if she brings it up again, if she keeps asking, hang up. Tell her you'll talk to her later when she's ready to talk with you about something else. Hi, Dan. I am a straight male. Um currently out of a relationship with another married woman. She, after about two years in this relationship, decided that she wanted to go back um, and be exclusive with her husband, which, you know, hurt and it was hard, but um, that, you know, I understand. At the same time, I am pretty heartbroken about it and I do tend to speak about it to other people that we both know. Um, I do feel like it's okay to share details of our relationship uh, therapeutically, but at the same time, I'm a little worried because she's actually contacted uh, official authorities a couple of times and they've called me and said not to do that. Um, As far as I'm aware, I have not done anything illegal, um, but I do feel like everything that we did, I am saying is true. So I, would just like your feedback on should I not talk about it with my friends and family or am I really breaking the law? Joining me by phone to help tackle this question, comedian and host of the brand new baby podcast, Stand Up with Pete Dominic. How are you doing, Pete Dominic? Thank you for jumping on the phone. Dan, I'm very excited to be here with you. Been a fan and uh, known you a long time, but it's a big deal to be on your podcast. My wife is extremely impressed, finally. Oh, oh well, well, tell her that she's too easily impressed. I hope that's not why she's your wife. That is exactly why she's my wife. I tricked her. <laughs> um, I describe your podcast as a brand new baby podcast because those of us whose podcasts have now hit 700, I think, can look down our noses at people whose podcasts are, you know, still in the double digits. You're up to n- number 70, I believe. That's right. Almost there. 65, I think. Well, it's based on my 12 years at Sirius XM doing a three-hour daily live radio show where basically I don't know anything, so I reach out to experts and have a thoughtful conversation with them. It's like the the daily show for the radio because I'm a comedian, and so I ask whatever I, I want to ask. I'm ignorant. I'm apathetic, but I find the best experts I can find to talk about the most important issues that affect your life, your community, your planet. And now everything is seen through a pandemic paradigm, and I've got access to all these great people, and so there you have it. Well, I've been really enjoying it, especially your uh, post-arrival of Pandemic podcast, which I have found informative, helpful, and and they've cheered me up. So thank you. I, I, I'm like one of those people who's a, a bit of a hypochondriac, and I think hypochondriacs get a bad rap because we're all vindicated in the end because eventually we all die of something. <laughs> yeah. But I'm a bit of a hypochondriac, so this is kind of a torment to me. Every time I sniffle or sneeze, which I'm doing a lot because I have allergies and the pollen is back. I, I have a heart attack. And listening to your podcast has helped me cope. 
I am so glad. Thank you. I hope to uh, welcome everybody, whether they have anxiety, depression, addiction, or hypochondria. Now is the time to listen and to uh, to support each other and listen to smart people who can help us through it all. So that's what I'm trying to do. And I, I really want to say, before we get to this question, yeah, we're going to answer people's questions eventually. Uh, if I didn't already love you, your comments on CNN on Super Tuesday, when you know, you're, you, you're a, a progressive and I'm a progressive, I would be happy if Bernie got the nom. You would be happy if Bernie got the nom. He's clearly not going to get the nom. And on Super Tuesday, you just let it loose on, and you know, you let it rip on people who were already saying yeah. that if Bernie didn't get the nom, they weren't going to vote, which was essentially to vote for Trump. Yeah, I have very little patience for that. I mean, listen, I'm as radical as they come. I want to break up all the systems. I want a revolution. I want to be a part of that. I've interviewed Bernie Sanders way before most people probably ever even heard of him. He was joining me on my SiriusXM show. That being said, it just comes from a point of privilege for those of us that want a lot of change that have been in the game for a long time. And so I don't want incremental change. I hear you. But people who are living on the edges of society can't afford one more year, one more day of Donald Trump. And there's a major difference between, you know, Supreme Court judges, climate change and democracy as we know it between Biden and Trump. And I just have no patience for people that don't realize what it means to live paycheck to paycheck and not have health insurance and what difference it makes between Biden and Trump is monumental. So cry me a river that you didn't get the candidate you wanted. I hear you. Oh, also, you know, to the Bernie supporters out there who are heartbroken, I would say, take what you got, you know, that you, like, let's acknowledge the, the victory that Bernie did win, even if he didn't win the nomination. Yes. He has yes. moved the Democratic Party far to the left. Biden's platform, his positions, what he's running on is so far to the left of where he was and where Obama was when they were in the White House. And the credit for that goes to Bernie. So take the gold star, take the three quarters of a loaf, not half a fucking loaf, take the three quarters of a loaf and get behind Biden, who's behind a lot of your positions now because of Bernie. All credit to all powerful Bernie for shifting the Overton window on the left so much further to the left. Now yeah. get in the corner of the guy who's going to make it happen. Uh, it's who's going to make some of Bernie's policies happen. Many of us were really disappointed before the Bernie supporters were disappointed because we supported Elizabeth Warren. We get it. I understand your disappointment. <laughs> By the way, Obamacare is saving my family right now. Is it single payer? What I think we should have Medicare for all? No, but it's helping us afford health insurance after I lost my corporate job. And so check out my podcast, everybody. Please check out Pete's podcast. I endorse that. Now, now Pete, we wanted you on the show for a, a segment we call Straight Guy because straight guys are underrepresented on all advice platforms because straight guys are less likely to to ask for advice just like they're less likely to ask for directions because really what's an advice podcast but directions i'm here to give directions i'm like a Psych. gps thing for relationships and, and so sometimes you know a whole show will go by it'll be all you know women and me and so we like to have the straight guys on sometimes to sort of like up the percentage of straight male content and straight male voices because you know, I want straight guys to feel like this is a safe space for them. So I really appreciate you, Pete Dominic, straight guy, coming on my show today. Well, I've always felt your show was a safe space as a listener and as a straight guy. And I'm, I'm, I'm so happy to represent the underrepresented straight voice here, Dan. I'm very flattered. I am your gay friend, straight guys. I'm the person who tells your girlfriend or wife not to, like, freak out if she finds porn on your computer. I mean, it's no big deal. And everybody... Does And if she dumps you because you're watching porn, she's only going to end up with a new boyfriend who is also watching porn, but perhaps a better liar. <laughs> I'm so glad so, you're my gay friend and have been for years <laughs> even before I met you. Uh, let's talk about this call. Uh, this guy, straight guy. So we got a straight guy. Got a straight guy call for you, straight guy. Uh, All right. Having an affair. Not having an affair. He was 
dating someone who was in an open relationship, so not an affair. And she went back to her husband and they decided to to go mono again. And he is running around with his broken heart complaining to all of their mutual friends. And apparently the woman, I, you know, I assume that they're socially monogamous, even though they weren't sexually monogamous, they wish to be perceived as monogamous, as many straight couples who have arrangements around openness do. They are invested in the appearance of monogamy, if not the reality of it. And she's pissed that he's running his mouth to their mutual friends about the fact that he was fucking her. And now official authorities, whatever that means, are involved. What would you tell this guy to do? And I'm wondering if it's the same thing I would tell him to do. I mean, first of all, uh, representing the, the, the straight voice here, I think uh, uh, the caller is there's a lot that he is not telling us. Anyone <laughs> framing a response? I don't think I've done anything illegal. Uh, nobody's saying he can't talk about it with his friends if he if he wants to. I mean, it doesn't seem like the best thing to do to tell all of your friends because you're only getting that guy's biased opinion. But police, I know a lot about domestic abuse and stalking. I've worked on those and covered those issues a lot. Police tend to not get involved unless there is a serious concern. If the police have gotten involved, then he is probably doing something he should not be doing. And uh, I would suggest, based on what little information he is giving us, that there's a lot, Dan, that he's, he's not telling us, and he should probably stop and find a way to move on. Yeah, if first responders are making time to deal with your bullshit at this moment, your bullshit <laughs> rises to a certain level. And yeah. and so I, I agree with you. But there is a take on this where let, let's give him the benefit of the doubt. Let's mm-hmm. say that he didn't, you know, he didn't stalk her. He's not threatening her, but he is running his mouth to a lot of their mutual friends. And I would say to the caller, you know, if she overreacted and if the first responders where you live have nothing but time on their hands. And so they got involved for shits and giggles and you really didn't do anything wrong except talk. You know, there's a difference between confiding in a few close friends about your heartbreak and blabbing to everyone to retaliate against this woman exactly. or ending this relationship that she had an absolute right to end and to prioritize her marriage, which she has an absolute right and even a responsibility to prioritize sure. and to prioritize her husband over you peace on the side And so, you know, my position generally is if you're having sex with someone, they have a right to their own experiences. It's a red flag when someone swears you to secrecy about the relationship that you have with them because then you can't, you know, have your friends intervene and say, ah, this is a terrible person. They're asking you to do terrible things. Or sometimes you need that outside check, right? If someone wants to deny you that outside check, that's a problem. But there's a difference between, you know, a right to your own experience, a right to confide in your friends and telling and screaming it from the rooftops to punish someone, which is what it sounds like the caller was doing. Yeah, I just get stuck on the phrase, generally speaking, uh, in this situation. I, I don't uh, I don't think I've done anything illegal. It's listen, you're not driving down the highway. Uh, these things are usually pl- pretty clear cut. And as you just said, I mean. They have first responders have a lot more to deal with than uh, you hanging out and doing things and saying things and making phone calls that are probably borderline. Hi, Dan. So I've been dating this guy for about five months, and I'm wondering if I'm a bad person for continuing to date him. I know we don't have a future together. He's simply not the type of person I want to date long term or build a life with. But for now, he's really great. He's kind and caring and the sex is fire. It's clear he sees a future with me. 
For example, the other day he mentioned getting a dog together. Am I leading him on by continuing to see him? I fear if I'm blunt about this, I'll break his heart and he'll end the really good thing we have going. I know that short-term relationships are a perfectly valid relationship style and it's okay to want those, but he's very traditional and doesn't really understand that. So what are your thoughts? Can I, in good conscience, continue dating this guy or do I have to use my words and break this off before I damage his sweet little heart? So Pete, in good conscience, can this woman continue to see this guy? I think she can see to him. Absolutely. I think she may be framing it wrong. I mean, maybe they can break up in the future, but her best interest is to be honest, be honest with how she sees it and allow him the agency to decide. She's not obligated to break up with him, but I think she is obligated to be honest. I mean, frankly, uh, she had me at uh, the, the sex is fire. Was that the phrase? And Dan, yeah, I, I really wonder how you're going to be giving giving advice in this situation and the and the what I am calling the pandemic paradigm. I mean, if you're having good sex and you're literally you you've been socially isolated with someone and it's going pretty well, I would say given the pandemic paradigm, maybe you hang out uh until you can even physically be with another person. You're having good sex, I say take advantage of it, but be honest in times like these as well. Yeah, you could ask him to slow his roll. You can say, you know, it's only been five months talking about adopting a dog together. That's a little premature. But hey, the sex is fire. Let's keep having that sex. And who knows? Maybe in, you know, five months, you'll feel differently. Meaning in five months, maybe you'll see him as a potential long-term future partner for yourself. Or in five months, you'll want to be rid of him. But five months in the future, maybe then we can leave the house. You know, if you get rid of the sex is fire guy right now, you can't replace him with some other sex is fire guy right now. You can't go out no, to a bar or a club. Yeah, you can only replace him with, uh, with a tool, a toy, or an another method. But, like, the idea right now, at looking ahead five months for anything – is is crazy so just stay in this moment right now you got a good thing maybe foster a dog or or a pet but you're gonna learn we're all gonna learn a lot about each other and life in the next few days weeks and months so i say don't don't end anything if it's unless it's really bad and makes you feel unsafe let's talk for a second though about the 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 moral conundrum or, or the ethical issue when mm. someone is making a reasonable assumption about your intent or your openness to you know, a long-term committed relationship if you're not open to it, disabusing them of that false assumption, that would be being honest, right? Because yeah. you know, if someone's coasting along and they've made – and for me, it's always the reasonable assumption. You know, if you've been dating someone for two weeks and they assume you're going to get married, that's an unreasonable assumption and that's their fault. If you've been dating someone for a year – and they're talking about marriage and you know that's just not in the cards. Well, now that person is wasting their time on you and you know it. And that, I think, shifts some responsibility onto your shoulders to disabuse them of that assumption that they have made. And it's a reasonable assumption they've made after a year together that you're open to long term and open to perhaps a, a very serious commitment. And, you know, at five months, I don't think you're there yet. Because at five months, you can you know, be pretty sure you don't want something long term, that they're not the person that you want long term. But your feelings can change, and I think you can allow for that. But if you know for sure that there is no chance of anything remotely resembling what that other person has told you that they're hoping for, that creates an obligation, I think, to disclose 
that doesn't mean you have to end it necessarily. Right. You can tell the, like, mean, like you said, Pete, the other person has agency. The other person has, you know, can make their own choices. And if you say, I don't see us together long term, but I'd like to keep dating for now, maybe my feelings will change, but, but I don't know. And that other person decides to continue to see you knowing that that's on them. That's their choice, but they have to be able yeah. to make an informed choice. I think you just you just be honest to say, I don't think we should be planning any cruises because no one should. I don't think we should be getting <laughs> a pet together. I don't think we should be buying furniture together. And I want to be honest with you. I, I don't see this relationship going really long term. Maybe something changes, but I want to be honest with you right now under isolation. I'm having fun with you. Let's not buy anything together. Let's not necessarily move in together or, or, or take a trip together. Not like we have a choice. But let's just take it one day at a time with everything, because for all I know, we're, I may have to eat you tomorrow. Hello, Dan Savage and the tech-savvy at-risk youth. I am calling from Toronto, Canada, where we are staying inside. I would like to request uh, that you do a review of the Netflix hit Love is Blind. I know normally you probably wouldn't uh, have time to do such a thing, but I'm hoping that you will give your take on this as it has all of my friends and uh, very unlikely people that have been watching it talking about it. Pete, have you watched Love is Blind? Because full disclosure, I have not watched a single episode. I'm I'm a bad I watched enough of it, and I wanted to be a good guest on your show, so I read some professional <laughs> reviews. Oh, my God. You, you're a more prepared guest on my show than I am a host on my own show because I knew we were going to take this call. Uh, of course, I've, I've been reading about it. There's been a lot of like thumb-sucking think pieces out there about the show, so I'm conversant, but I haven't watched it, so I haven't got sucked into it. I tried to watch The Circle – some other like reality show and I couldn't get into it. It was just a bunch of people yelling at televisions and then I was yelling at yeah. the television. So I was so annoyed that they were yelling at their <laughs> television. So I had to turn it off. Uh, so what do you know as someone who's actually watched a couple episodes? What is the love is blind phenomena about? Well, I mean, it asks this age old question, you know, can, is it really possible to fall in love without ever seeing each other in, in the flesh? And I think they have some pseudo science that they're using nick and vanessa lachey the producers of this show this trying this this social experiment based on studies that couples somehow form stronger bonds when they're not distracted by the physical and they just get to know each other on a person to person level dan and by the way i mean i wish this show were in real life i wish the these were the standards because i would have scored so many more partners <laughs> i'm all about personality humor social interaction i personally am amazing i'm funny i'm thoughtful i listen great but i'm five seven and now bald i look like daughtry so it matters it it, it clearly matters and if this show really wanted to be honest then give me a short, fat, hairy guy with a snaggle tooth and a lazy eye and then show me that love is blind. These people are all yeah, pretty good looking. That is one of the critiques of the show that everybody on, the, on it is pretty conventionally attractive. My beef with the show, and this is just my PTSD from the uh, gay marriage wars, is where are the sacred sanctity of sacred marriage people right now? How many shows do we have to have on television where people are, you know, going all the way back to who wants to marry a millionaire in the 90s, married at yeah. first sight. Now this show, you know, The Bachelor, The Bachelor, all of these like marriage roulette shows 
that make uh, where, where we know these people are being set up for failure. We know that you know, anybody who gets married at first sight is going to get divorced yes. shortly. Yes. Anybody on this show who wants like your motives for going on the show are not to find your true love. It's to peacock around on television. It's to attract attention to yourself. It's almost as if volunteering to go on some sort of marriage roulette show means you're not someone that anyone should take seriously as a, as a potential spouse because you're, it, it like speaks to a kind of self-involvement that disqualifies you yeah. from being like invested in another human being at all. And but yes. where are the sacred sacredness of marriage assholes who'd wanted to prevent me from marrying my husband at 25 years? Where are they now to like object to this shit? They're, they're silent. Well, I don't know that they have Netflix subscriptions, number one, if they're allowed. I think they would also uh, have to object to all of the drinking that takes place in, in the pods during this show. But I... I do love the quaintness of Dan Savage calling out the hypocrisy of the religious right over this. Well, it's a renew it's a it's a renewable resource. We will never run out of the hypocrisy want, of the religious you right. You want an official review from Variety's Daniel Daddario on this show, Love is Blind? Yes, yes, please. Daniel writes, Love is Blind, then, is not good, but it is something. Each episode feels both structured around a new milestone and nourishing in what it gets on the margins, Dan's. Uh, bits of observations about differences in race or class or age are crucially outlook. No one is judged here, but everyone is presented as something like a rounded and full character, if not quite a whole person. This cannot be credibly seen as an experiment in the field of love sciences or whatever the Lachey's are trying to convince us, but as a trial run for a dating show that feels governed by human impulse and not rigidity of format, it proves its hypothesis. That's the variety's Daniel Daddario, Dan. How'd he do? Well, he's, he's probably in a better position. Although, you know, I feel like I have to confess now for all of my sort of sneering, high-mindedness about this, and I got sucked into 90 Day Fiance. Oh, well then. So who am I, I to mean, throw that's... stones at anybody who enjoyed Love is Blind? Yeah, I mean, all of these shows are meant to entertain. I mean, are there any of them real life? If any, if anything, they remind us of when we were teens and we were talking mostly on the phone and not in person. Uh, and so it brings you back before we had uh, the technology we have now. But, you know, meeting in, in, in real life is generally how it eventually happens. Pete Dominic, host of Stand Up with Pete Dominic. Follow him on Twitter at Pete Dominic. Pete, thank you so much for being our uh, straight guy today. We really appreciate it. Uh, it's a huge honor. My wife is probably going to be impressed enough that I was on your show that things could occur under pandemic, if you know what oh, I'm saying. I am. Yeah. I am. Uh, I am I'm a big honored. deal now. I, I would be sure to invoke my name as it happens, because that is I'm a, sure she a, a will. Sh <laughs> Won't be the first time. Uh, listening to your to your podcast and hearing your your daughter run into the room and ask for a salad. Uh <laughs> was is good luck to you and your family at this time. You, I assume you live in New York. Yeah, Rockland County, New York. My daughters are fifteen and twelve. My daughter, by the way, just got put in a a back brace for scoliosis, so it's going to be. I think it'll be it'll, it'll be really easy from here on. Oh my gosh! Okay, well, good luck. Good luck to you and your family during this uh, time of isolation. Thank you. Thank you very much. I'm. A, uh, love, love having uh, being on the show, buddy. Everybody I know listens to this show, and they're all impressed. Well, so it was thank really you, great, Dan, and, and we'll have you back if you'll be our straight guy again. Anytime. Hi, Dan. This is a 29-year-old cis woman in a 
pretty monogamous, long-term, opposite-sex relationship, calling with a question about natural approaches to birth control. I have had an IUD for the better part of the last decade, and that's always worked really well for me as far as not getting pregnant, which is a, a big thing for me. But one thing that I do miss with that is is that I, I don't get my period at all and haven't, haven't gotten it for a number of years. And I, I miss having that connection to my body and to its, its processes and cycles. Uh, as weird and new agey as that might sound, that's what I keep coming back to. But whenever I try to reach out for resources about, um, you know, natural forms of birth control or approaches to, to birth control, sometimes I, I either end up on weird sort of religious uh, websites for people who are, have kind of fundamentalist reasons for not wanting to use birth control, which is, is not what it's about at all for me. Uh, it's not a religious thing at all. It's just a, uh, or at least not in that way. It's, you know, it's just a desire to get closer to my body. And then, uh, you know, recently I went for a, a pap smear uh, at Planned Parenthood, and I thought maybe, you know, I'd bring it up there at the appointment. I thought maybe I would find someone who was, you know, sympathetic to that desire. Um, but the practitioner, she just seemed kind of confused about my question and was sort of like, well, you already have an IUD and was wondering if I had questions about my IUD. But that's not the case. I, I'm just interested in, in sort of natural kind of homeopathic herbal herbalist sort of approaches to uh, birth control. And anyway, I thought I might put that out there to you and, and your listeners, see if anyone has any advice or resources for me. Uh, I should also mention that my boyfriend is not opposed to using condoms. In fact, he kind of prefers it because it helps him last longer. So that's not an issue. Anyway, I'd be grateful for any advice anyone has. It's a shame the Planned Parenthood doctor that you spoke with, that you met with, didn't seem to know what the Planned Parenthood website knows, which is fertility awareness method. It's a thing. It's a method. And the withdrawal method, it's a thing. It's a method. Withdrawal is pretty easy and straightforward. Your boyfriend just doesn't ejaculate in you. It carries a higher risk of pregnancy than the IUD or birth control. 78% effective, which means you have like a one in four shot of getting no shot, one in four shot of getting pregnant using the withdrawal method. And that's using it imperfectly. These stats at Planned Parenthood applies to different birth control methods are real world use as opposed to perfect use. Condoms get an 85% rating around effectiveness. Condoms are nearly 100% effective when used correctly. The problem is that not everybody uses them correctly. You say your boyfriend's using condoms. You can have your IUD removed and if he wants to wear condoms, let him wear condoms and educate yourself. Google it about fertility awareness and withdrawal. Withdrawal is pretty simple. He just doesn't blow those loads in you. There is some risk, even if he's not blowing loads in you. A few sperm cells here or there in his pre-cum, if he produces a lot of pre-ejaculate, that risk increases. But if he pulls out every time, it's going to be at least 78% effective. If you want to attempt fertility awareness, it's a lot more complicated than withdrawal. You have to know when you're ovulating. So you have the IUD removed. You have to pay attention to your body. You have to let your boyfriend continue to use condoms as you figure out when the moments are in your cycle that you're ovulating. It requires you to check your cervical mucus. There's a lot of steps you have to go through. It's a lot more complicated, which is why more people opt for birth control pills or IUDs or even withdrawal than the fertility awareness method. But you say you're one of those people who is in tune with their body and wants to be super in tune with their bodies. So maybe fertility awareness is the right method for you because it does require that kind of focus on your body and learning about your body and paying attention to your body and what it's telling you. 
All that said, fertility awareness, withdrawal, much higher risk of pregnancy. So if you do practice withdrawal imperfectly, as most people who practice it do occasionally screw up, you have the plan B there, the morning after pill to prevent you from getting pregnant. If you practice fertility awareness imperfectly and you stop using condoms because you have a good handle on when you're ovulating, imperfection with fertility awareness means you got pregnant. So you need to ask yourself how you feel about abortion or how you feel about becoming a parent. Hey Dan, um, 30-year-old bisexual poly cis woman here calling from Glasgow in Scotland. I have a question that's kind of coronavirus related. So in September, I met a 28-year-old cis man from New Zealand while he was traveling around Europe and we hit it off spending a pretty amazing night together before I left to go on holiday and he left to continue his travels. Um, I didn't expect much of it other than it was going to be a fun one night thing, but we've kept in touch over the past six, seven months and our connection has grown. We had planned on meeting up for our second date as we were calling it, in, in Russia in May because he got a teaching job there and was going to be based in Moscow for a while. Um, we were keen to see each other again and spend more time together and see what it was like to be in person again. But then there was the international pandemic, um, the trip was cancelled and he has now had to fly back to New Zealand at short notice and is in isolation and living with his parents. Before this, we were calling each other on a weekly basis and had maintained this nice balance of staying in touch and being in each other's lives while acknowledging that we've only met in person once and we wanted to feel it out in person before like making any grand suggestions of what this relationship might be. Basically, we wanted to go on a second date and I was going to go to Russia to do that. I'm trying to keep like grounded in a reality and stay realistic. We've both been dating other people during this time and that's something that I would want to continue doing anyway, being polyamorous and all. It'd been on my mind that I'd been developing feelings for this New Zealander. Um, he's becoming someone I really care about. And I'd planned on touching base with these feelings once I saw him in person again, and then using the opportunity to, to talk to him about it in person. But since this pandemic has impacted both our lives in ways we couldn't have imagined a few weeks ago, we've been calling daily, FaceTiming each other, and my feelings have totally escalated. I'm feeling like I'm falling in love with this person so now i'm wondering should, should i tell him how i feel i feel like i'm falling in love with him but i don't know if that's real or if it's just like hyped up anxiety or if it's something that i was already heading towards and this crisis has kind of brought into clarity for me i generally do really care about this person but i'm unsure how to navigate with this with him and how best to handle my feelings in this time of uncertainty keep talking to the dude worry less Keep talking to this man uh, that you met, that you liked, that you clicked with, you connected with, that you were planning to go to Moscow, not a place I would visit, but to go to Moscow to see and just let yourself enjoy it. Stop worrying about whether you're feeling too much or feeling too much too soon and just feel the fuck out of your feelings. And I think you should share them with him. Maybe he's feeling the same way. But rather than saying, I love you, I want to confess that I love you, say, I'm developing feelings for you, I really feel. And maybe it's too soon to say this. I kind of feel like I'm falling in love with you. With the upward inflection at the end, that invites him to share how he's feeling. And if that freaks him out and scares him off, and I don't think it will, but if it does, well, then you don't want to continue to allow these feelings to grow. And him fucking the fuck off because you freaked him out is, although short-term painful, long-term in your 
best interests, but I doubt that he'll freak out and run away. If you frame your feelings as conditional, as something that you're currently interrogating, you know, we've only ever met once. Our second date was derailed by a worldwide pandemic. Uh, maybe this is just a reaction to the stress and the pressure, uh, but I really liked you then and was looking forward to seeing you. And now because of all of our conversations, I kind of feel like I'm falling in love with you. I don't want to scare you off, but I just wanted to be honest about how I'm feeling. Just throw it out there. And if he bolts, well, good riddance, as painful as it might be. And you can turn your attentions to all the other cute, hot, straight men who are rolling around on the internet right now looking for people to connect with virtually. But I doubt very much that he's going to bolt. If he's been talking to you every day for months and months and months and looking forward to seeing you and making plans to see you and now he's trapped at home with his parents, I bet he would welcome continued attentions and affections and perhaps even your love because he might be feeling the same thing. You know, it's terrifying. Rejection is terrifying. We all are scared to death of rejection and I like to encourage people to try to see rejection from a different angle as something that you should welcome because it means you're no longer going to be wasting your time on someone who doesn't want you the way that you're wanted. But we rarely acknowledge that sometimes when we take that risk and share our feelings, what we get is the same back. that We've discovered that those feelings are mutual and that person uh, that we worried didn't feel the same way about us that we felt about them was doing the same thing, wasn't sharing how they felt because they were worried about scaring us off. Somebody always has to take the risk of going first. Someone has to be the one willing to invite rejection, which is what you're doing when you tell someone that you have feelings for them. You're not inviting it. I think you should invite it because if they don't feel about you the way you feel about them, you want to get out of there, but you're risking it. Somebody's got to risk it. There may be a few couples out there in the world where both blurted out, I love you at the exact same moment. They're outliers, rarities, Somebody always has to go first. Why not you? Before we get to your response calls, let's read some of your tweets. Rob Russell tweets, I just got an email from a financial advisor with the subject line, the bottoming process, avoiding mistakes. Frankly, I'd rather hear about it from the Savage Lovecast, not my investment guy. Brian tweets, for months I bugged a friend to listen to the Savage Lovecast and he didn't. As revenge, I bought him a Magnum subscription for Christmas. He is now a listener. Hashtag success. Thank you, Brian, for gifting the Savage Lovecast. And Damien Stewart tweets, PSA for couples who enjoy a third who is a regular or just anyone in their fuck buddies to check in on them now. If your third is single, it could really matter to them to hear from you, especially if the couple is all over social media about life in their own home during this shit. Hashtag Savage Lovecast. I am endorsing that tweet. If you have a regular playmate, a regular third, a very special guest star that you and your partner have spent a lot of time with, but you aren't sheltering with, you aren't physically distancing yourself from others with that person, give them a call. Let them know that you're thinking about them. Let them know that you're looking forward to getting together again with them when this is all over. And finally, on a personal note, we got a lot of direct messages and some tweets and emails from people thanking me and Nancy and the Tech Savvy at Risk Youth for keeping the Lovecast going at this time. We were very touched by all those messages, and yes, we are going to keep the show going. All right, if you want me to read your tweet on an upcoming episode of the Savage Lovecast, be sure to use the hashtag Savage Lovecast, and now your response calls. Hi, I've got a comment when you and Tristan were talking about um, polyamorous couples needing to maybe go down to just one partner. I think when there's a pandemic, 
all behaviors need to change. People can't go or shouldn't go to church or synagogues or mosques. So you're not saying anything wrong about polyamory. It's just we need to shift how we're behaving in these weird times. So all the love to the polyamory community, hunker down, and we're all going to get through this together. Hi, Dan. I'm calling in response to the caller in episode 701, who is in a relatively new relationship with a guy who has been her friend for eight years. I think another tidbit worth mentioning is that it might take some time for this guy to get used to thinking about his friend, now his girlfriend, as a hot, kinky sex partner with whom it's okay to be assertive with. If they have great sex and it's something they both actually want, it should develop in that direction naturally over time. Hey, Dan and Nancy and the Tech Savvy at Risk Youth. I'm a voice teacher, and I just wanted to call and say the preacher, the reason he sounds like shit is because his vocal cords are scarring. And soon, if he keeps shouting and talking with terrible technique, he won't have a voice anymore. So he won't be able to say all that horrible shit. (laughs) Talk about smiting. And we're going to leave it there. 206-302-2064 is the number here at the Savage Lovecast. If you want to record a question or a comment for a future show, give us a buzz, 206-302-2064. Or better yet, use the voice memo app on your smartphone to record your question and email it to us at voicemail at savagelovecast.com. And we want to keep opening the show every week for now with your quarantine sex stories. If you are having good sex at home with your sheltering in place partner, or there's something you're thinking about or remembering or fantasizing about or planning, give us a buzz, share your story. We might open the Savage Lovecast with it next week. And as ever, you can give the gift of the Savage Lovecast to your Savage Lovecast fans. You might need a bigger dose of the Savage Lovecast at this time. Go to savagelovecast.com. Click on the gift box. Follow me on Twitter at FakeDanSavage. Follow Pete Dominic on Twitter at Pete Dominic. The Savage Lovecast is produced every week by Nancy Hartunian and me and the tech savvy at rescue and Nancy. I'll be back at you next week with an installment of the Savage Lovecast. Thank you for downloading. Stay safe. <laughs>